Are you a Christian who wants to go deeper into the roots of your faith? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. This is a podcast for Christians who want to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and his word. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I'm also an author and a Bible teacher. In this podcast, we will stretch and maybe even challenge you to look at Scripture from a Hebraic point of view. We want to help you understand Scripture through the lens of the Hebrew language, culture, and history. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome. Today, my guest is Pastor Carl Gallops. He is the senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, and he's been there since 1987. He is a graduate of the Florida Law Enforcement Academy. He was a law enforcement officer turned pastor. He also went to Florida State University and New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a critically acclaimed Amazon Top 60 bestseller author of multiple books. He has also been a talk radio host since 2002. So I just want to welcome him today. And I think that he has so much to offer. And so he has so many books out that I couldn't even take the time to go through all of the books. But um, we're going to highlight a few, including his newest book coming out and just the things that he has learned and has taught. So thank you for being here today, Pastor Carl. Stephanie, it's my honor. Thank you for having me. One of the books I wanted to mention right off the bat is The Rabbi, The Secret Message, and The Identity of the Messiah. And if you could tell my listeners a little bit about that book, who it's about, and um, and then and then we'll go on from there. But why don't you just give us an introduction of the book to begin with? Okay, I can give the elevator introduction, you know. Uh, it, it's an extremely, as you know, complex and involved story. But of course, I, I, I think with God's help, I've made it very, very simple for people to understand and to get the richness of the whole thing. I wrote that book together with Messianic Rabbi Zev Parat out of Tel Aviv. He was born and raised, and he's a part of this story, so uh, that's why I'm giving his bio. He, is, uh, he was born and raised in an Orthodox, Orthodox community in Israel, uh, Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish family. His father was a rabbi. His grandfather was a rabbi. His great-grandfather were rabbis, and I mean well-known. In fact, they served on the, on the uh, Israeli Dayan, which is the uh, rabbinic court. I mean, these guys were powerful. They were famous among the Jews in the time and, and fairly wealthy, too. Uh, on his mother's side, uh, his family is deeply connected to the government. Uh, I'm not allowed at this point to say the specific offices, but they are high, high, high offices in the Israeli government. So he's deeply connected to all of that and the, and, and the Israeli military. So he's very familiar with this story. And we've been in ministry for 10 years together and traveled the world together doing media and conferences and tours of Israel, actually. But the bottom line is, I said his bio because he's a part of this story, as you know, because the story is so stupendous and supernatural that people wouldn't believe it if they're not familiar with it. But it's about the most famous rabbi in Israel's history, the most venerated rabbi in Israel's entire history. That's what Zeb says and a lot of the Orthodox Jews in Israel. His name is Yitzhak Kaduri. Um, he died in 2006. 
But right before he died, he left a note. He had been in Israel. He was 103 when he died. Some say 108. Uh, he had been in Israel since the, the, the early 1900s and before Israel was even a nation. But in 2006, he passed away at an elderly, elderly age. There were 300,000 people at his funeral. They had to close the streets of Jerusalem for two days. The president of Israel uh, actually gave the eulogy on that day. So this guy was a big, big rabbi, deeply connected. He and Benjamin Netanyahu were deep personal friends. Uh, so when he died, though, right before he died, he went to his own synagogue and told the people, he said, look, uh, on the day of my death, I've instructed my ministry headquarters. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's huge, a big building, two or three stories. It's kind of like, he's kind of like the Billy Graham, if you will, of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and his um, synagogues downtown, his yeshiva, his, which is equivalent to like a seminary, and then his synagogue. So he announced to his people uh, on a Yom Kippur in October, he said, listen, when I pass, um, I, I've, I, I want you to know I've met Messiah. I've had a vision of him. I know who he is. I know his name. And one year after my death, I, I, I'm going to put it all in a note. One year after my death, I want this note put on the website of my, of my ministry headquarters. Now, that was in October of 2005. In January 2006, just a few months later, he was rushed to the hospital. Within a few weeks, he was, he was dead. And, I mean, he didn't know that at the time. It was just a case, bad case of pneumonia in October. Uh, I mean, when he spoke, uh, he didn't have pneumonia. But by January, he had pneumonia, and then he was hospitalized and dead. So they waited a year. So 2007, January, the note was put on his website. And this is the, this is the very quick story. Um, and when it was uh, put up there, it was up there for three or four months until it was decoded. Yes, decoded. This is a fact uh, I've got the note in the book. You can see it with your own eyes in his handwriting. Kaduri had been teaching this truth, this vision, to some of his select students secretly, and they are the ones that let it stay up for three or four months, and then they said, you know there's a, a way to decrypt it so that you can know the exact name. And everybody went, really, really tell us. So they told him. And the, what it says when you decrypt it is the name of Messiah is, Ye- is Yeshua. And it just turned the Orthodox community upside down. Fake news kicked in. Uh, oh, people were viciously angry, and they said, "Oh, some Christian did this." No, it was it was his note, his handwriting. They locked it away in a safe, just like he asked. They proudly displayed it for three months. Then they went so crazy as to say that, "Well, somebody broke into our website and put that note up there." But the problem is that note had been there for three months, and there was a story written about it that they had written. So anyway, it's just an intriguing story, but. For, for the Billy Graham, if you will, of Jewish people to declare after his death in a note in his own handwriting that Yeshua is the real Messiah and is coming soon, I mean, that was astounding. So it, it really, um, people, Jews are getting saved all over Israel because of this and all over the world. Uh, after reading our book and, and Zev ministers to a lot of these people, it's absolutely amazing story. Look, I could talk about this for hours. Let me hush right now, but, but that's the gist of it. And you read it, <laughs> so I think that you could probably say, not trying to put words in your mouth, that I've pretty much uh, summed it up. Yes, you did. And, of course, like you said, there's a there's a whole 
lot of details in between the beginning and the end of all of that. And, um, and I love some of the, I love how you bring out scripture and use, of course, scripture to, to even talk more because it's more than just his story. It goes into some teaching points on um, God's name, but then it also talks. Yes. And then it also goes into um, the name of Jesus and his Hebrew name and different things about that. So do you want to touch on that a little bit or, or a lot? (laughs) Well, you know, I'd be glad to because there's some amazing things that have been and are being revealed in these very prophetic times we're living in. We're right now living the most prophetic times since the first coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, when the most famous rabbi in Israel's history, who happens to live in our lifetime, on his deathbed writes this note and puts and it gets put on the website and, and it says, look, the one we've been rejecting for thousands of years, he's the one. He's the real Messiah. I met him. I had a vision. I mean, that reminds us kind of like Apostle Paul, you know, on the road to Damascus to kill Christians, and, and he meets the resurrected Lord, and his whole life has changed. The world has changed, and uh, the whole Christ event is now uh, marked by our calendar date, 2022. That, that's, that's not how old the earth is. That's, it marks from the Christ event. So for that to happen in Israel in these last days, and and for all of these things that I'm getting ready to talk about to be revealed, not just to be revealed, some of these things I'm going to say have been known for for ages, but now we live in the prophetic time in which there's 24-7 communication information systems, largely brought about by Internet, social media, cell phones, satellite technology, etc., and we're getting ready to enter the age of quantum computing, and what that means is the storage and dissemination of information is, it is unprecedentedly mammoth, and it is now unprecedentedly ubiquitous. It is 24-7. And so the things I'm getting ready to talk about, somebody may say, well, I knew that. Yeah, but here's the thing. If you know it, then please tell it, because that's what God's wanting us to do, is to spread this, to tell this, because these things are are, are so ingrained in God's Word, kind of hidden but not hidden, hidden in plain sight. All right, let me explain. Um, very quickly, I want to talk about the word uh, Yahweh, and then I want to go to the word Hashem, which means the name, because there's a teaching uh, in Orthodox Judaism that really didn't come about till after the temple was destroyed. There was some of it in the Second Temple period. It was more of a superstitious thing. And by the way, everything I'm saying is documented from reliable, historical, scholarly sources. I'm not pulling this stuff out of my back pocket. I'm not making it up. It's documented. They can find it and or go to my books. Uh, my new one coming out called the Yeshua Protocol this fall has all of this and that I'm getting ready to say and much, much more, and it's all profusely documented from Jewish sites themselves and, and world mainstream media and scientific sites. But anyway, let's, let's do this. All right, now I want, the, I want your audience to understand that the, the, the ancient Hebrew language comes from a Semitic language group known as the Proto-Sionatic language. Uh, that means even before the event at Sinai, th- this language was among the Canaanites and the Hebrews, and of course the Egyptians had hieroglyphics, and this proto-Sinaitic language was very similar to the Hebrew language. And it's very similar to the Egyptian language. It's a system of pictures 
that represent sounds. So if, it, if that were true in our language, then the F sound might be represented by the picture of a fish. You know, f- f- uh, when the scriptures were written, it was written in what we now know as the Hebrew language that came out of that Semitic language. And that Hebrew language that it was written in is called the prototypical Hebrew language, the Paleo-Hebrew, which is a prototype. Now, that's the language that the original scriptures were written in, Paleo-Hebrew. Now, this is important because Jesus calls himself the Aleph and the Ta. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's Greek, but in Hebrew, it's Aleph and Ta. It's really, really interesting because the Aleph is the first letter. Ta is the last letter, of course. I'm the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. And this is extremely important because God himself in the Old Testament says, I am the first and the last, representing the Aleph and the Ta. Several times he says that. Well, Jesus takes that own title upon himself. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I was dead, now I'm alive. And of course, that's in, in Revelation. So you've got this deep connection between Yeshua and Yahweh. And of course, John makes that connection in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All right, now that we've got all of that, what I want folks to know is that the Aleph in the, in the Paleo-Hebrew was in kind of a stick figure format. It looks similar to an ox head. That, from ancient memorial, time immemorial, was the singular letter to represent God, his power, his strength. He's the first. He's strong like an ox. Back in those days, that would have been like a four-wheel drive pickup truck or a tractor, you know. I mean, that, that's what oxen were used for, for transportation and for farming and all of that. If you had oxen, you were a rich person. Uh, you were a very wealthy person. So the first letter in the shape of an ox head um, in kind of a stick figure format, Aleph, in fact, that's the sound of it was El. That's where we get El Shaddai, for example. All right, the, the God Almighty, El Shaddai, and so, um, and and then from that, the letter Sheen, the twenty-second letter of the alphabet, excuse me, the twenty-first letter of the alphabet, Sheen, it becomes the name for God, meaning El. That's Aleph Shaddai, and that's on every Hebrew mezuzah to this day. The, the, the sheen, and it means God Almighty, and his hand is over this house, his hand is over this business, his hand is over wherever we post this. All right, now with all of that in mind, it is a fact, a historical fact, and the reason I'm emphasizing this is because there are some modern naysayers who try to say that, well, these letters, they don't have, you know, they just mean what they mean, they're sounds, they don't have any specific meaning to them. Uh, there are actual modern-day scholars out there on the Internet making videos and writing articles about how each of these letters don't really have a pictographic meaning uh, uh, or an ideographic meaning. And what they mean by that is, from the most ancient days, we know that the Proto-Synatic Hebrew had a list of these letters, and then beside them, each of them had a, a, a meaning. For example, the letter hey. Okay, but in, in the meaning was behold or look at this. And that's kind of funny because our English, you know, hey, hey, but, but that's, that's just the sound of the Hebrew letter, hey. And, and, but, but it means behold or look at this. Okay, the Aleph meant God, the first, the, the powerful one. Uh, I mean, you could go on, bet, uh, the second letter, Aleph, bet, 
bet means means a house or a dwelling place. That's the meaning of it. Now, those meanings stayed attached, and to this day, they're still attached. I mean, Kabad.org, one of the one of the first Hebrew websites, the largest Hebrew website on the planet. Uh, as soon as the internet was born, they went to work and put it up there. Hebrew Today. That's another website. Their material is translation of Hebrew into the simplest modern Hebrew they can so that other language people, speaking people of the world, can learn Hebrew. They produce newspapers. They produce uh, material for schools. Uh, Their material at Hebrew Today is used in public schools, private schools all over Israel. So I'm going to use these two as an example, Kabad, which is deeply orthodox, and then Hebrew Today. Both of them have entire sections of their websites dedicated to the letter meanings. So for people to say the Hebrew alphabet doesn't have letter meanings, they don't know what they're talking about, or either they're trying to obfuscate and cover this truth up. Now, I'm very passionate about this, um, Stephanie, because what I'm getting ready to say next hinges on this. So you got Yahweh, yud Hey wah Hey, or it could be vav Hey Yahweh, uh, and, and it's because of, it's kind of like that particular letter has a different sound, like n- northern English, you know, from the northern states, and then southern English from the southern states. We pronounce some letters a little differently. Well, because the Jews were scattered all over the world, that particular letter has a couple of different sounds to it. That's why you come into, is it Yud, is it Wa, or is it Vav? It's both. It depends upon where they're from. But anyway, uh, but we usually pronounce yud hey wah as Yahweh, because you can hear that, okay? Or Yahweh, okay? Depending. But yud hey wah represents what we see in our English Bibles, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see that in English, it's translating Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the holy name of God, used over 7,000 times in the Scripture. So that's what you see. Now, if you see capital L, little o, little r, little d, that represents the name Adonai, which means Lord, Master, the, the, the King. Uh, it, you know, it's a title of uh, prominence, but it, it could be used by human beings. In other words, somebody could call a king Adonai, but in that context, they know they're not God. Uh, but, but yet God himself is called Adonai. Why? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's master of masters. So we have Yahweh, which means I am who I am, and, and, it, you know, and, and I am the Lord God over all creation. I am the one. I am the creator, Yahweh. Then Adonai, I'm the king of kings, the lord of lords. I'm the master of masters. Okay. So, but when you take Yahweh, that most prolific name, that, that in, ineffable name the Jews say, you're not even supposed to pronounce it, they say, that's not what the Bible says, and we can talk about that in a moment. But when you take that and look at those Hebrew letters, Yud, He, Wa, He, you hear the term He twice, we know that the, that the ideograph for that letter is behold or look at. Yud, the ideograph, is a nail or a spike or a spear. Vav or wa is the hand. So it's, I, I mean, excuse me, it's the other way around. Uh, yud is the hand, I'm so sorry. And vav is a spear or a nail. So what that, when you take it, that name, you know, an ancient Hebrew would say, well, who are you? What does your name mean? God could answer, it means behold the hand, behold the nail. 
I, I mean, or behold the hands, behold the spear, behold, you know, all of these implications of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then when you consider that God called himself the Aleph and the Taw, Jesus called himself the Aleph and the Taw, the Aleph being representative for God himself, the powerful one, the ox head, the, the most precious one, the most prized one, the most expensive thing a, an ancient Jew could have was, was a team of oxen. Uh, I, I'm represented by that letter. And then the Tav, the last letter, in the Paleo-Hebrew in which the Bible was written, it was in the shape of a cross, a literal crucifixion-like cross. But, of course, in ancient days, the Hebrews wouldn't make any connection to that. They would just say, that's how you make a Tav. It's kind of like our letter T. You hear it, Ta, Ta, and and a T, a a non-capitalized T, a lowercase T, is in the shape of a cross. So, so was that last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So when you consider that his name means, behold the hands, behold the nail. Uh, wow! That's like, I'm God, but you're going to see the hands, you're going to see the nail. Now this is further borne out in Zechariah 12, the prophecy of the last days, where God himself, through Zechariah, says, and on that day you will look upon me, whom you have pierced, and you will mourn for him as an only son. I mean, it, it's Psalm 22, where David gets this vision of Messiah. He says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. They gamble for my clothing under my feet. I mean, all of this is in that ancient Jewish scripture. And then the name of God, Yahweh, actually means, behold the hands, behold the nails. So, This is an astounding thing. Zev, who lives in Israel, he teaches this everywhere, and he's had many uh, major rabbis call him, email him, saying, please stop this, please stop this, you're confusing the Jewish people. Oh, yeah, you're not confusing them. You're showing them who Messiah is. But the rabbis don't want to lose their power and their wealth that comes from their positions among the Jewish people and the Israeli government. And they are furious at Zev and me for writing the book about Yitzhak Kaduri. They tried to cover it up, but the book just brought it right out to the world. So anyway, we love the Jewish people. Zev is a Jew. We love Israel and their right to exist, and that's a sign from God that we're living in the last days, that Israel has returned, and so we support all of that. But at the same time, we're trying to reach Jewish people for Jesus Christ, and at the same time, we're having to battle, watch this, the rabbis and the Pharisees, if you will, of modern times. They've, they've never gone away. So there's all of that. I'm going to hush and let you speak because I've, I've really been preaching and teaching here. But I also would like to speak about not speaking that name and then give the revelation about Hashem, which is just earth-shattering. And again, we're living in times of instantaneous communication information. So even though what I'm saying has been known for a while, but now it's going all over the planet. And God is basically saying, look, I'm getting ready to return. You guys better get right. The ark is being built. Carl and Zev and Stephanie are helping to build it. Uh, Preachers and teachers out there are telling this, you better get ready because one day soon the door is going to be shut. Then the flood comes. That's right. It's amazing. And and I want to hear more and I want everybody else to hear more because it's it's so good. It's everything we need to know as believers in Jesus or Yeshua, whatever you choose to call him. That is that is our savior. He is the messianic king of the world, and we need to know more about him. And and that's what this whole podcast is about, going into these 
Hebrew roots, these Jewish roots of our faith, because that's where it all started. So, um, so I'm so appreciative that you're, and I know you're excited about it and, and I'm excited about it. So, and I hope out there they can feel your excitement because it's very real. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Well, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Thank you. For no, I was just going to say that the, I just wanted to make a point about the book too, that within this book, you know, you, you talked about giving the books away on the streets oh, of yeah. Israel yeah, and, and people's response to it and divine appointments. They were amazing stories. I mean, I sat there and I cried, you know, not in a sad way, of course, but just at the amazing things God was doing with this book, but also with your ministry and with um, your co-author. What was his name again? Because it totally left me. Yeah, no, that's Ken. okay. His name is Zev, Z-E-V, Zev. A, a popular Zev. name for boys. It, it literally translates in Hebrew to the wolf. and There's mm. no, no bad meaning there. It just means a, a, oh. it's just a strong figure, you know, a wolf, okay. you know. And then Parat, Zev Parat. Rabbi Zev Parat, yeah. So he told a story about going to a mosque and actually giving, um, talking about the book to this Iman. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that was amazing. It was so touching. Months later, the the Imam calls him at home, and Zev had kind of forgotten about him because this was the the Imam of the largest mosque in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. Zev had a vision that he was supposed to go talk to him, and that could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could have been a death sentence for Zev, truly. The police basically have, in Israel, basically have very little jurisdiction inside a mosque. They give they give as much leeway as possible to keep the peace. So if Zev had gone in there, which he did, to talk to the imam, which he did, and if they had killed him in there, I mean, it could have taken the longest, if ever, that it was investigated. So Zev literally put his life on the line, and he goes to the door, and he tells him, he says, listen, the Lord God has sent me to speak to the imam. He had a couple of big bodyguards that opened the door. And they said, well, what, what God? And he said, the God of Isaac, Abraham, and, and the God of Jacob, Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. And, uh, and he says, and they said, okay, we'll be back. So finally the imam came to the door and invited him in. So he tells this whole story. It's in the book of everything they talked about, you know, everything that happened, some amazing things. They, uh, the imam invited him out to the garden. Zev tells in the book he thought the imam was going to kill him in the garden. I mean, he just, mm-hmm. Zev just expected that he would die that day. Because he was going to tell the guy about Jesus Christ. And right. they wound up talking about Yitzhak Kaduri because the imam knew. Everybody knows Yitzhak Kaduri, the most famous rabbi in all of history over there to the Orthodox Jews. And so the guy, the, the imam says, oh, yeah, I know about him. And Zev told him, he said, well, you know, he, he had a vision that Jesus was the true Messiah. And he, the imam went, what? He said, yeah. So Zev left a copy of the book and, and then, of course, ministered to him and showed him in scriptures. Well, they, they left on good terms, but Zev had an uneasy feeling that maybe cops were going to show up at his door the next day or something for trying to proselytize an imam and, you know, the, the most important one in Israel. Well, anyway, three months passes, the phone, his phone rings, and the guy calls. He says, you remember me? And Zev said, yeah. And he says, I had a vision. He said, I did. I've seen the Christ. I have seen him. He says, and it's Jesus. You're right. It's Yeshua. And and I was overwhelmed. He said, I, I can't I can barely speak of it. He says, but I have resigned the mosque 
and I have changed my name, and I'm now preaching the gospel, and I'm in a different area, and I wanted you to know that God used you. I mean, all that's in the book. You know that. Yes. You read it. And so I'm telling your audience that, yeah, the book has all kind of stuff like that in it. The rabbi, the secret message, and the identity of Messiah. It was awesome. Plus the teachings on Yud, Hey, Vah, Hey, and, and others. Mm-hmm. So it was awesome. It was just such an awesome book. And like I told yeah. Pastor Carl at the beginning that I used it in a class. Some of my students just read the book like from beginning to end within the first couple of weeks of the class and um, because they couldn't get enough of it. And so and then we yeah. just talked about it throughout the the course, but along with some other other more academic books, because I, I just don't want people to think that this is a purely academic, hard to read book. This is a very easy, well, easy to understand book and well-written book. Thank you. Thank you. I've been told that about all my books. and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I want people to understand difficult and complex theological concepts and things that are happening in the world. So God apparently has given me a gift of being able to do that. And I'm not saying I do it perfectly. And there are probably people that do it way better than I. But I'm just saying, yeah, you you get almost any one of my books, and especially these latter ones, because I've learned more and more. I've written 13 books. And again, you know, several of them top 100 on Amazon, two of them top 60 on Amazon. And that's out of all the books Amazon sells. So God's using these things internationally, these books. and, And so that one is like a it's like a Raiders of the Lost Ark adventure story, really. <laughs> but yet you learn along the way. My latest one, Glimpses of Glory, it's a novel. It's written in a novel format, yet true to the scriptures. It goes from the Garden of Eden to John the Revelator, his death on the deathbed. You follow him in uh, to to paradise, and but you go with him to the trial. You go with him to Patmos when he's sentenced to exile. You're with him when he comes home. And, but it starts in the Garden of Eden, goes all the way through, goes all through the life, death, crucifixion, the birth of Jesus, the, the ministry of Jesus, uh, his beginning, the, the, the middle of it, the end of it, the crucifixion, the resurrection. I mean, it just brings the whole Word of God to life, and it shows you the connected story. That's called Glimpses of Glory. It's written that way. But everything is referenced. Right, it is. And I started reading this one, and I, I actually have it. And I'm not just saying this stuff to puff him up because I, I love books. I'm a writer myself and I have written Bible studies. So I'm actually pretty critical when it comes to the books I read and the Bible studies and the things I, I study. But my husband was laying in bed beside me one night when I started this and I started just reading the first chapter or actually it was the second chapter. It was called the garden of Gethsemane. And I I don't want to go into it too much because I want to leave time for his explanations of Hashem. But as I read it, even my husband just said, wow, you're like there. I mean, it's what we call in, in the writing world, uh, show don't tell. He's not just telling you something. He is showing you, you are walking through, you are there with Jesus when he's praying at the rock in the garden of Gethsemane, you are there witnessing everything. And it's, it's just written that way that it gets to your very soul and your emotions. And you're just in your, in this place with Jesus 
seeing what's going on, hearing his thoughts. And of course, that's the the fiction part of it, the novel part of it. But it's it's still so real that it makes you feel it. It makes you feel the story and live the story. There aren't too many people who can do that and do it very well. You're so kind, Stephanie. Thank you. And yeah, even the 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 quote fiction parts are still um, extremely biblical and are things that he maybe said somewhere else out front. And so I put them in his mind again, or they're things that he would say based upon all the teachings of the New Testament. So, so yeah, even though there's fictional parts in it, I try to stay very true mm. to the Word of God. And, and, and also, as, as you go ahead. No, I said it's just based in Scripture. It's all based in Scripture. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and also, as I was saying a minute ago, and as you have acknowledged that as I'm writing it, I just write it so it's like a novel. And, and you know, you don't feel like you're in a seminary class. You're just reading a novel, but yet you're learning, you're learning, you're learning. And I say things and you say, and you might read and say, wait a minute, the scripture doesn't say that. Where's that? But if you'll look, there's a footnote. And if you follow the footnote, you'll find what the scholars say about that and what the word studies say and the commentary from me and how I pull it all together. And then you go, oh, my gosh, the Bible does say that. I never knew that. Well, then you learn something. But at the same time, you're doing it through a novel. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I did look up those footnotes. (laughs) Good. I'm so glad. (laughs) Well, that's why they're there. (laughs) So I do that. I'm one of those people who do that. (laughs) Yeah, it basically is two books in one. Mm -hmm. Because what you have is the novel. You don't have to look at anything in the back. You can just read it and go, oh, my gosh, man, I felt like I was being. Let me just tell you about that. Mm -hmm. The editor, this is with a professional, this is with a a, a big-time Christian publisher, Defender Publishing. And they use professional professional editors, professional cover design people. I just turn the manuscript in, and then it goes from there, and it gets marketed and posted and put on in bookstores and stuff. And um, so the editor called me and said, oh, my gosh, I'm having a hard time editing this I'm, because I try to edit it, but I'm reading it. I'm absorbed in yes. it. I can't believe it. <laughs> she actually wrote – she's got a team of people that helps her, but she actually wrote a endorsement of it for the website. And I don't know that any editor has ever done that before. I was just blown away. And the guy that wrote the forward, uh, Derek Gilbert, the host of Skywatch Television, he read it and wrote the forward, said some sweet, sweet things in there. But then I was on TV with him after the writing, and they were filming some productions about this book, uh, Glimpses of Glory. and, And they asked him why he did the forward. He said, I'll show you why. And he turned to what you're talking about, that, that first couple of chapters about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It kind of starts there. It's written like a movie. It starts there, and then it goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden and then goes forward. But anyway, he starts reading. He's reading four or five paragraphs on air, and he starts weeping. And I know this guy. He's a man's man. He doesn't just break into weeping, you know. And he's weeping on air. And he said, and then he, when he finally got his voice back, he said, "This is why I wrote the forward for it." So uh, what you just yeah. said, and what he said, and what the editor said, are just such encouragement to me because I'm telling you, I went through spiritual battle writing that, and I'm not asking for anybody's sympathy. I'm just speaking the truth. I um, uh, several times I about gave up. I told my wife, "I'm just going. I'm not going to do this." This you know, and and Satan was just beating me up. He did not want that out there, and but it's out there. It's all over the world, and it's changing it people's lives. So I praise Jesus for that. Do I have time to talk about Hashem? You do. We have about ten okay. more minutes. 
Okay, and thank you. You've been such a gracious host and interviewer. Um, yeah, so we're talking about Yahweh, yud heh behold the hands, behold the nails, and how important that is. And some of your listeners say, oh, I've known that for a long time. Okay, I know, I know. But I'm saying that the Jews have fought against this. It's one of the reasons, and Zev verifies this, and there are some, I mean, listen, um, Haaretz, Haaretz, the, the, the main, like, New York Times of the Israeli people, they actually admitted what I'm getting ready to say, not connected to the name so much, uh, that the, you, the behold the hands, behold the nails. They said everything but that. But what Zev and Haaretz has said is that after the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and the Jews were dispersed, that's when it became prolific among the Jews. Don't pronounce that name. Well, because that's after the Christ event. You know, the hands, the nails, there he is. And then the resurrection, then the birth of the church, then the birth of the gospel, then the destruction of the temple. Well, why did God allow the temple to be destroyed? Because Jesus is the temple. He said that. He said, I am the temple. Destroy this temple. And he points to himself. And in three days, I will raise it to life again. And then Paul writes all through his scriptures. He speaks to the Christians, to individuals, said, know you not that your body is the temple of God now? Don't you know you are the temple? He speaks to the church. He says, you are the temple. The church, God is building the church, which is, quote, the temple. I mean, that's why it happened. And, but the Jews are scattered, 70 A.D., they're distraught, they're saying, we can't mention that name, and then they came up with this idea, it's too holy, it's, you know, and God is punishing us. Well, yeah, he probably was, those that rejected Jesus, those that even killed him, and it wasn't just Jews, the Gentiles were involved too, but I'm just saying that, yeah, they were the ones, the handlers of the word. Jesus was standing right in front of them, the Messiah they had longed for, and, and he, they rejected him. Not only did they reject him, they killed him, thinking they were doing God a favor. He didn't fit in their box of what right. they wanted Messiah to be. So all of this happened to get people to stop speaking the name of Yahweh. And, and so today you'll see an Orthodox person writing something or speaking, and they will say, well, Hashem said, which Hashem means the name, and I'm going to get to that, or, or sometimes they will say Adonai, you know, the master, the king of kings, or something like that, but they won't say Yahweh, which they did for, you know, multitudes of ages. And, and, and I tell people all the time that try to say, oh, we shouldn't say the name of Yahweh, the name of God, how you say it in English, but you wouldn't say the name of, of the Lord, Yahweh. Uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. I say, wait, show me a scripture anywhere where it forbids us to speak the name of the Lord. And while you're looking for that, I will show you 50 scriptures from the Old Testament where it says, sing the name of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, declare the name of the Lord, speak the name of the Lord, preach the name of the Lord, teach the name of the Lord. Over and over we're told, use that name. Why? It is the power of what he's doing in Jesus Christ to save the world from what happened in the garden. Behold the hands, behold the nails. Yahweh, the Lord God, the Creator, speak that name. Look at the trick Satan has pulled on Jews and Christians. In these days, say, don't speak that name. So now you'll read something, and it'll say, you know, Hashem, Hashem. Well, Hashem means the name. Okay, that's the way to kind of, they're, they're referring to yud heh but they don't want you to speak to it because it says, behold the hands, behold the nails. So a lot of Christians have gotten caught up in this, and they don't even understand this, that that's just not biblical truth. 
uh, to not speak the name of God. Good gracious. And then that name puts on flesh and becomes Yeshua. And what is it said? There's no other name which, by which we can be saved. Yeshua, who is Yahweh in the flesh. So what do you mean don't speak the name? So Hashem, the name, that's beautiful. The name told us to tell you this. Hashem said, it's almost like a substitute word for God, but here's the deal. Here's the kicker. They don't even know this, most of them. Again, it's in my book, The Yeshua Protocol, coming out. It's all referenced profusely, but I'm running out of time, so I'm making this quick. Hashem, that Hebrew phrase is made up of three letters. Ha comes from the letter He. Shem, She comes from the Shin. And the, the last sound of M, Hashem, Mem, comes from the letter Mem. Okay, so it's 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 Hey, Sheen, Mem, Hey, Sheen, Mem, Hashem. Okay, that's what that phrase is made up. Those three Hebrew consonants with the vowel points in there, Hashem, Hey, Sheen, Mem. You know what the ideograms are for Hey, Sheen, Mem? Hey, behold. All right, like. Behold the hands, behold the nails. Hey, Shin El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. That's on every mezuzah, the Shin. Right? Mem, it means on the waters. Behold the Lord God Almighty on the waters. Now think, every Christian says, oh my gosh. I've got chill bumps on me right now talking to you, Stephanie. Every Christian says, oh my gosh. Jesus spoke to the wind and waves, and they, they, they stopped, and the disciples said, Who is this that can speak to the wind and the waves? And they obey. Jesus, on another instance, walked on the waters. Behold the Lord Almighty on the waters. He walked on the waters, and he came to the disciples at night. Peter gets out of the boat, comes to him, and we know that whole account. And then... When you get to John chapter 14, and Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and, and he says, look at my father's house and many mansions. You know, I'm going to go there, prepare a place for you, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas speaks up. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. He says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Then Philip speaks up and says, but Lord, if you would just show us the Father, if you would show us El Shaddai, we would believe. He said, if I've been with you so long that you don't know who I am yet, if you've seen me. You've seen the Father. And I think he was chastising him. And in the Yeshua protocol, when, when, when after the resurrection, it says over and over, he showed them everything in the scriptures about him, that it was him, that it was him, that it was him. I'm sure he went back to those times walking on the water and said, I, there's the, behold the, the name, behold the Lord God walking on the waters. Okay, you saw me do that. Where else do you know that the, that the, that the Tanakh, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. says that? Genesis. And I give four Oh, I said Genesis one, or yeah. Well, well, there's that, but but even more detailed than that. I mean, there's probably five or mm-hmm. six because there's Genesis. Oh, there's the Exodus account mm-hmm. about dividing the waters. But I'm talking about where it directly declares, mm-hmm. and it, in Job it does, and in Proverbs it does, and uh, and and Zechariah, I think it is. I've got it all in my book right now. We're running out of time. I'm mm-hmm. looking at the clock, and I can't remember the exact scriptures. But paraphrased. And I've got it written and referenced where you can see it. It literally says in the Old Testament, one of them talks about the mariners go out to sea, and then the sea roars and the waves roar. But the Lord God intervenes, and he, called, he brings peace, 
and he calms the wind. He calms the waves. He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. And the people in the boats are calmed, and then they know they are saved. Oh, my gosh, it's exactly what happens in the New Testament. And then there are several others where it says, And the Lord God, he walks upon the waters and leaves no footprints behind him. He controls and commands. He walks upon the top of the waters. And then there's one in Proverbs that talks about how he commands the winds and the waves, Proverbs chapter 30. And then it says, Do you not know what is God's name and what is the name of his son? It says that in Proverbs 30, talking about walking on the waters, which is why God looked at Philip on the night before his crucifixion and said, Philip, you're a student of the word. You've been to synagogue all your life. I just walked on the waters. I calmed the wind and the waves. No human being can do that. And you're asking me to show you the Father? Who do you think I am? Have you been with me so long and you don't know who I am? Do you, do you get the connection, Stephanie? Yes, I do. Yeah, so, so these, this is what I'm saying. Whenever humans step in and try to confound the Word of God, we're not going to say Yahweh. We'll say Hashem. Well, God confounds the wisdom of the world, because in the name of Hashem, it means behold El Shaddai, walking upon the waters. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. Well, I look forward to getting getting that book. And so and I know that um, you need to get going. So I'm going to let you go. And and maybe uh, we will have you on this program again, because I think that we could we could go on and on. So thank you very much for being here. Stephanie, it's my honor. I'll come back anytime you would have me. And um, I love being on with you today. Thank you for being so gracious and letting me flesh this stuff out. There's a lot of details. And, and you know, it's hard for me to just give yes or no answers, you, you know, because then people don't know the context. And then they think you're lying or you don't know what you're talking about. But you allowed me to work through some things that people could at least go check behind me. And I appreciate that. No problem. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and recommend it to your friends and family. And don't forget to check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews. That's all for today. See you next time.